Josh Satin, farmer and now extreme camera extraordinaire. Welcome to the Golden Hour podcast uh, yet again. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. I uh, can't believe uh, I, I, last time we talked, I couldn't believe how long it was in between the times that we we do recorded for the podcast. So thanks for having me back, Dave. Yes, absolutely. Is this is this your third time or I, I know I was on yours and then you're on mine and then were you on it again? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think remember. this is the third time. <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, Josh and I have been talking with each other a lot over the last couple of months, ever since the new Canon R5C started shipping. Uh, Josh has ordered one. Um, I have been using the C70 now for over a year. It's still my primary workhorse. Um, and then Josh, you, you went through like a bunch of Sony gear, but then you sold it and bought Canon stuff again. So yeah. Uh, but then not only that, but you've been building a, a camera gear specific YouTube channel, uh, alongside your farming channel. You've got a lot of changes going on in your life with the farming kind of world. Um, can you kind of just give us the, the synopsis of Josh Satin as of right now? Sure. Uh, a little sum- up- <laughs> Summer we'll 2022. Yeah, yeah so uh, Farming Channel is good. Um, hit 200,000 subscribers, which is like completely mind-blowing. Thanks, Very Dave. Very nice. It took That's me awesome, three years from start to 200K, so uh, it's been wow. a wild ride. Uh, <clears throat> I'm actually in the middle of doing a free farming course over on that channel, which is totally sponsored, so I'm able to give it away completely for free, which is completely unheard of uh, in, in wow. the farming space. or. So it's a 19-week uh, farming course. I'm doing live Q&As every week. So that's been kind of taking up most of my time right now. I'm putting a good amount of time into that. But as you said, my other channel, which is focused on camera gear, content creation, videography, those kinds of things, um, is something I'm trying to put more effort into as time goes on. I think I want to put more energy into that in the future. So um, yeah, as you said, I've been back and forth with camera brands. I think I've just come to realize, realize that I kind of like all the cameras. Like I don't want to like stick in <laughs> one world and that yeah. kind of is confusing for me because I can't afford to keep all the cameras. So yeah, I've been back and forth Canon to Sony twice round trip now. Um, so now I have Canon cameras <laughs> round trip. That's a good way yeah. to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> cautionary tale from a former, uh, camera gear reviewer, that sickness never seems to go away. And uh, often, at least when I was cycling through things, I would have a Nikon body, a Sony and a Canon with different lenses just all over the place becomes a mess. And uh, it wasn't until I got robbed and like $40,000 worth of my stuff was stolen that I kind of was like, wait a minute, I had way too, like I had seven cameras that that person stole. And obviously it was, you know, a traumatic experience, obviously broke into my home, but that aside, I kind of had to realize like, actually I don't need seven cameras. (laughs) Like two is enough. Like two is already kind of like all you really need. If you're going to air quote it, I I do think two of the same brand is essential, um, for most people, um, because you want to have a backup camera and it doesn't have to be a great version of that. You don't have to have two C seventies. You could have literally like an EOS R and a C 70 or an EOS R and a you know, ADD, you know, whatever, whatever you can afford. I do think having two is, is crucial, but no more than two is really necessary for most people. What do you think about that? (laughs) Yeah. I kind of live in the between two and three world. Like when I have three cameras, I'm like, do I really need three cameras? And when I have two, I'm constantly like, I think I need another camera. So it depends (laughs) though. And like, for me, I've been pulling out my phone lately. If I need another camera, like if I need to do like record the back of a screen or something like that. Or I've even used it for an overhead a few times just because I didn't have enough. I didn't have enough cameras. Um, But yeah, yeah, I think for most people too is good. And it is helpful when you have ideally two of the same camera, but as you said, like two in the same brand with the same brand lenses, um, I think Mm -hmm. helps a lot if you're trying to mix footage for sure. I know when I was a freelancer, um, this is showing my age, if you will, but I was using the original Blackmagic camera, the 2.5K that was like, it looked like a, like a box. And then I had the, the original pocket camera. And th- those were the two that main cameras that I used and they were fantastic at the time. Um, <clears throat> and then I sold them and bought this, the old trusty 1DC. I don't know if you've ever played with this, but this was like in 2011, this was the Holy Grail camera because at the time there was no cameras that existed in the DSLR form factor that shot 4k. 
And this camera was $15,000 when it came out. And it had Canon log and continuous recording, you know, without cutting out, which was such a big deal. But it was so dumb. This had no focus peaking or waveforms or any professional video features. It was still just a DSLR that happened to shoot 4K. Um, <clears throat> but I think I bought this a couple of years ago for like $1,500. It shows you how much things depreciate. But I also recently just bought the original C, uh, C300. I don't know if you saw this on Twitter. I did, but- Dave. Did you get it yet? <laughs> <laughs> it should be here in about a week. Okay. Um, I posted about it. A lot of people like, oh my gosh, I remember that camera. You know, it cost 16 grand when it came out. Uh, I shot on it a bunch. It's 1080p only, but it's a 4K sensor that down to 1080 internally. So it's really clean, good looking 4K or 1080. And a lot of people were like, dude, that's awesome. That's awesome. And then one guy responded and like, but why? And that one tweet kind of like hit me hard. I'm like, that is a good question. Why did I get it? I don't I don't know why I got it. <laughs> I think I have a sickness, Josh. I think we have an addiction problem. <laughs> I think I think there's some nostalgia for sure with cameras. I think especially with certain <laughs> yeah. brands where you're like, "Oh, I really and then you get the camera and you're like, "Why do I have this? This isn't useful for me at the time being, you know?" <laughs> I think I'm going to just have a play with it. I might make a couple videos like kind of reminiscing about the nostalgia of it. You know, I can obviously throw this in there as well do a whole like you know these were the original cinema cameras uh in 2011 they were revolutionary for the time now here's what we have and how far we've come i think that's cool and um you know as we grow and mature in this and as we are able to afford it you know it's kind of like a nerdy collector's habit as well to just kind of collect things so but it's it's so dumb when you look at your shelf and it's like there's $6,000 sitting on my shelf right now that could be in my bank account if I really want it to be. <laughs> yeah, I would just, I would, I, I don't like keeping that stuff around. If I don't use it, I usually just sell it and get something else and, and keep it's not like things a, around. It's not like a guitar that kind of like goes up in value over time. Cameras yeah. just continue to plummet. So if you really want to buy it again, you could buy it again in two or three years. It'll be even cheaper, probably. I think it's also kind of cool to use old older cameras sometimes to re- not just remember what the cameras were five, 10 years ago, but also I go back and look, I don't know if you ever do this day, like look at old footage that you have that you shot on cameras yes. that you wouldn't use anymore. And you just like, for me, I'll be like, Oh my God, there was way too much saturation or the color grading was like atrocious. And, and like take <laughs> that file and like rework it and then realize like, okay, maybe like you see how your skills have improved too. I want to make a yeah, video about that point. at some point, but um, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Yeah. I'm going to try to do that. So tell me about your Sony journey because you kind of jumped ship from Canon. You you and I were like big C70 fanboys when when we had ours. That's we bonded on that. Except I shot wide DR, you shot Canalog two. But uh, <laughs> hey, I, I'm a Canalog two shooter as well. It's just for the type of stuff I was doing at the time. I didn't want to totally. color grade anything. But uh, <clears throat> you jump ship to the A7S three. I'm a huge fan of that camera as well. Yeah. it's got the cleanest image possible like just almost no matter what you do even when you're shooting log it's just a beautiful clean sharp image things just stay in focus because the autofocus is amazing it's full frame the ibis is great it's small it's compact the lenses that sony makes are great what tell me about your sony journey and then also like why you went back to canon i'm curious (laughs) yeah so I was shooting on the R and then the R5 came out with all the overheating and I was really excited about the R5 because, you know, I was just like, this is the camera I want. And then it didn't seem to be usable for video. So wound up, you know, same time A7S three comes out. I'm like, all right, let's just do this. And so I was in the Sony world for a long time and eventually switched over to using an FX3 uh, just because I wanted XLR inputs and it's just slightly more geared towards video, but it's the same camera as everybody knows. Yeah. Um, I had the FX6 for a little while, which I know we talked about, and it just wasn't the right camera for me at the time. Which is um, crazy because they're impossible to get a hold of now. I know, I know. The fact Trust that me, you I had know. it is crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, yeah. And so sold exactly for what I paid for it. Like someone was psyched to pay me. Um, and yeah, then, yeah, I was shooting Sony for a long time and then picked up the C70 and I was just like, this camera is incredible. I had an R5 also to sort of use for vlogging, but it just became not my favorite camera for just decreased dynamic range and uh, overheating, obviously in the 4k HQ mode. 
And I kind of felt like that combination C70 R5 was not the right combo for me for what I needed for doing some documentary work and YouTube stuff. And I was like, you know what? Two FX3s like does everything like it just it they do. Those cameras do everything and they do everything really well. Yeah. Um, and then I just I I was kind of just I don't know. Maybe it was just that we get bored and we want to try something else again. And I yeah. actually sat down and looked through a lot of footage over the last few years and all the videos I made, every time I came across a video I shot with the C70, I knew right away, I was like, this is my favorite thing. I, these are the favorite favorite images that I shot in the last two years. And so yeah. I was like, all right, I, I got to get this <laughs> get C70 again. <laughs> um, and then when the R5C originally got announced, I was not interested whatsoever uh, because I was shooting on Sony at the time. And mm-hmm. so now I have that camera and now it's like a whole nother complicated situation between those two cameras for me yeah and then yeah i guess you have so yeah we could get on to the the r5c and the selling of the sony cameras in a minute but i do think there's something to be said about image quality and at the end of the day we even though we're the ones holding the cameras using the cameras as youtubers we're often filming ourselves so the the way that it works is is so crucial for us because it's like the ergonomics and you know, the A7S and the FX3 are so small, it's easy to use as a YouTuber. But at the end of the day, all those things that we experience as we're using it don't translate on film when you're actually, you know, at least for your farming video, or in my case, for, you know, a YouTube video where I'm not obviously talking about the camera I'm shooting on. It It's just the story. It's just whatever you're filming at the end of the day is what is the most crucial. And if you objectively believe that the C70 looks better, even if it's a little heavier and a little bit more expensive and a little bit more complicated to use, the image is better and it makes you happier and the footage in the long run looks better. Like, is that is that where you kind of made your decision was like, you know what, it's a little bit bigger, it's got a crop sensor, the lenses, the whole situation is kind of annoying, but I just love the image and the people watching this, they're going to be seeing the image. They're not going to be experiencing what I experience you know, on the day using the camera. But I mean, that being said, it's got built-in NDs, which is so convenient. So battery life goes forever. You just need like one or two batteries for the whole day. Usually. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on just kind of C70. all that, the, the whole yeah. process of the C70 for me? Yeah. Like you said, it's the image at the end of the day, obviously like, but I think that there's a lot in how it's used, how you are comfortable using it. If you, if the camera can get out of the way a little bit more and you're not fussing with, all sorts of other things, then you can focus on telling the story. You can focus on getting the image that, that you need to get. And the C70 does that in a lot of ways when you're behind the camera. It's not for what I've realized. It's not great for me when I'm in front of the camera. It's just a little too. I mean, if I'm in a studio setting and I put on a tripod and whatever, but if I'm out at all, like it's just, it's a little bit too much for me, but the ND mm-hmm. filters is awesome and yeah the xlr inputs but i think the image is the important thing to talk about because nowadays all these cameras are so good like they're so good and i've matched like you know the r5c with the fx or the whatever camera i had at the time fx3 like you can get them to look exactly the same like if you want to put the time into color grade or you're sending your footage to someone else to to color grade you can make any camera look like any camera at this point for the most part with shooting Mm -hmm. in 10-bit and all this stuff or raw but when you're doing YouTube and you're doing quick turnover stuff uh, for clients or as like, you know, for YouTube, if I can get to that image quicker that I want, that's powerful for me. And that's what I realized coming out of the C70 and the R5C, like the image is closer to what I personally want. And that's totally subjective. And that's why I chose the, chose those cameras. Yeah, totally. Um, in my case, I, 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 the the style that I'm doing now, I'm actually not even operating the camera anymore because I have uh, people filming me. So it's kind of like, hey, Connor, you're going to use this camera. I don't care what you think. <laughs> like, <laughs> use it. <laughs> so, uh, so that helps. But he has relayed to me. He's like, so this camera, like, it, I know it looks great. I like the ND and all that, but it's heavy. Uh, uh, the, the autofocus, for some reason, isn't as good as the R5. Um, which is what he personally likes using and what he uses. Um, not to, you know, obviously don't even include the, the speed of the Sony's. I mean, the a seven four autofocus is just bananas fast and, and reliable. Um, if you look at some of the higher end 
you know, YouTubers air quotes, you know, a lot of them are, have switched to Sony. Um, not even just in our niche. I mean, everybody in our niche has switched to Sony. Yeah. Uh, I went to NAB this year and I didn't see any really Canon people. It was just all Sonys with that, uh, Sigma 24 to 70, 2.8 or the, uh, G master 16 to 35, 35. Yeah. Um, which and then also the the road the road video mic pro is still the champion microphone yeah. like everybody yeah. still uses that I still even use those, mine yeah Sony has that really nice one that just goes straight I don't onto like the that hot microphone shoe. I, I tried good? it not on my voice uh, I've heard other people use it and they sound good but what I notice is like when you're editing your own video all the time you're like oh I don't like it's too sibilant or it's too whatever like you can hear it I didn't like the way my own voice sounded so I okay. still like that old video mic pro plus that. Yeah, that's still the one I use a lot of the time. But yeah, you're right. seems like everyone's shooting on Sony. And I have to say the a7 IV is my favorite Sony camera right now. Um, The image to me is better than the FX3 and the a7S3, Mm -hmm. but it overheated on me three times in like three weeks. And I I can't have that happen. Like I can't have a camera overheat. That's unacceptable. Yeah. And I think... um, That's why, like, if, if I were to go to Sony, even though I agree I like a lot of the features of the the four, the sharpness, and it seems like the color science based on your tests is a, is marginally better. Marginally, um, yeah. I would rather have the the better EVF, the reliable, you know, lack of overheating, the yep. the better screen, the the better low light, the one twenty, all that stuff is great. But um, I think it's easy for us, and I'm sure you can relate, Josh. And, and maybe a lot of our people who are listening, it's easy for us to just get wrapped up in the gear and to get into gear lust and kind of the, that whole world. And like, it's important to like, just go outside, take a deep breath and realize it doesn't matter. <laughs> like doesn't matter. Everything's, <laughs> everything's so good. Like, like we've said already, um, maybe even force yourself to make an entire project on a, a cheaper or older camera to remind yourself like where we came from, because all these little things that we're arguing about are very minor uh, nitpicks, but you know it is something we deal with on a daily basis, and it's something that uh, I think is unique to our little community, and so that's why people are listening to this show right now. So, but I, I just have to acknowledge that you know at the end of the day, of course, uh, we, we we realize this is all n- not that important, but <laughs> but it's fun and um, we enjoy it, so we're going to talk about it exactly. So. I'm excited. So I pre-ordered the R7 and the this is exciting to me because I think the R7 with the C70 for me personally is the pair that I've been wanting because I really don't care about full frame as much as a lot of other people do. Um, I've been shooting on the Micro Four Thirds Olympus camera as my stills camera for years and I love it. Um, I like the small form factor. I love the tiny lenses. And I'm actually even looking forward to the tiny little kit lens that I pre-ordered with my R7 and putting that on the C70. It's like an 18 to 150 or something, but they're still cheap kit lenses. And like, it looks to me like Canon just took the EFM, like the M50 lens and just put an R mount on it. Cause it looks like it's just kind of balloons out <laughs> on the mount side. Uh, so that makes me a little hopeful for the fact that any EFM lens could just be retrofitted for an R R mount, which means there's a really solid little 35 1.4, 1.8 or something. There's a 22 F2. There's the Sigma 1614, the Sigma 3014, and the 5614. Those would be fabulous on the C70. But that's kind of the issue that you and I have really struggled with, with the C70 in particular, is the lenses. The R lenses, the RF <laughs> lenses are fabulous. The 15 to 35 2 8 is incredible. The 24 to 70 2 8 is ridiculously good. But on this crop sensor, you're not getting the full use of that lens. And you're also having to sacrifice the weight and the size of it on this camera. And you're not actually getting the benefit of the weight and size. Like if this camera was full frame, I, I wouldn't care about the, the size of the lens because I know I'm getting the full use of that lens on that sensor. So now I'm like, okay, do I use the the turbo booster on the C70, which Canon makes? It's basically a Metabone speed booster just made by Canon. And that's what I'm doing right now as we're filming this. I'm shooting this on the 16 to 35 2.8 at, I believe, 28 millimeters with the turbo booster. 
So that gives me an F2 in air quotes aperture. Um, and that seems to be probably the best use of this camera is to use the turbo booster for more, most instances. But then you got a big, heavy, chunky body and, and situation with the lenses, the older lenses that don't autofocus as well. They don't resolve as well. It's just kind of a mess. And I, I wish that we had better APS-C or Super 35 RFS lenses available. But right now, there's none available technically. But once I order, once I get my R7 in, now I've got a stills camera that's crop sensor and a video camera that's crop sensor. I'm just kind of banking on over the next two years or so, hopefully some lenses will come out that'll be perfect for it because then it'd be a tiny little compact system. But anyways, I just talked a bunch, but you definitely, I know, struggle with this predicament as well. (laughs) Yeah. So it's funny that people listening or watching this, uh, Dave and I have been going back and forth about C70 lenses for so long because I feel like the analogy I like to use is like putting a square peg in a round hole. Like that's kind of how I feel with the C70 because I think if they just came out with it and it had an EF mount, no one would think twice like, okay, super 35 Canon cinema camera, put the Sigma 18 to 35 on it. Like everyone knows what to do, right? Like C200, (laughs) C300, like we know what to do, but they put the RF mount on there. And I know you talked about this in your C70 review and I've talked about this a ton, the issues that I, that I've had with the speed booster and you've had with the, the purple circle, the, the crazy flaring and the sort of washed out look. And, um, and so for me, like I gave up on it because I just don't want to stress. Like we talked about overheating. Like I don't want to be out shooting and lose a shot because there's some weird flare issue. Like I don't, I can't deal with that. Um, a lot of times you're shooting documentaries. You don't have a chance to go back and shoot it again. Right. If it's a YouTube video, maybe you can go and shoot it again. But so I agree about that part of it. And then the RF lenses. And so they work incredibly well on the C70. They're beautiful. The autofocus is great. They have stabilization, those those big zooms, but they seem to just be kind of a waste and they're very expensive on those cameras. And yep. um, I've been shooting full frame for a few years now. And so my workflow has been simplified to having a 15 to 35 or 16 to 35 and a 24 to 70. And for me, those two lenses kind of do everything. And so then when I get into the crop sensor world, it just doesn't really work for me. Like that, that workflow is kind of broken up. Um, and then with the R5C, I put those beautiful, th- those lenses are so beautiful. Those RF zooms. And you put that on the R5C and all of a sudden, like it just unlocks those lenses. And I don't think those have really been unlocked in video yet. And so that's my impression with the R5C. Um, okay, you know, so, you, sorry, I, I, I talked a lot too, Dave. <laughs> no, no. So enter, enter the R5C into Josh Satin's life. So, so let's yeah. let's begin the R5C discussion. Um, I had a great discussion with Tyler Stallman when the camera first came out on this podcast. He shared his initial findings, but that was a, a pre-release. And he also was coming at it from an angle of like, well, it's just an R5 that shoots video. You know, I'm going to use my C70 for video. Like his attitude was kind of like, I, I prefer the C70. You now are telling me that you actually prefer the R5C. And I would just love to hear your thoughts and your findings. Uh, you had some great videos this week. Um, everybody go check out Josh Satin's camera review channel. We'll link it in the show notes and in the description below for sure. Go check it out. It's amazing, highly detailed, uh, great stuff. I love what you're doing on that channel, Josh. Um, so yeah, just tell me you know, about the R5C. Well, thanks, Dave. Um, I don't know when this podcast is going up, but I I just made a video that's like detailed, long form C70 versus R5C, and I'll, I break it all down in my opinion. But yeah, so the R5C, when it got announced and I, you know, I saw like Tyler's video and some other people that had, for, you know, first first hands on it before it got sent out, I was like, I am not interested in this camera. I was like, no C-Log2, mini, mini or micro, whatever side, the tiny one, the HDMI port, no IBIS. I'm like, what is going on? Like, why did they just put the put a fan on the R5 and like move on? Like, we're good. But then when it started coming out and people started getting their hands on it and I thought, you know what, like I had a C, I, I just had Sony then, but now I have a C70. Let me try out the R5C. And there's a couple of things that really blew me away. And the biggest one is the dynamic range. So it is different than the R5. And I think a lot of people didn't expect that because when they put the cinema operating system in there, somehow it lock, unlocked another one and a half stops of dynamic range. And, you know, I don't have a way to measure that, but Gerald Undone does. And he pr- reported on that in his, you know, his review video. 
And I noticed right away the first time I shot with the R5C and I, I was shooting in C log three. I remember what C log three looked like on the R5, and they're not the same. Like there is a lot more latitude what? there in in the shadows. That's, str- that's so strange. I, I don't understand I, that. I agree completely. Um, I noticed it. I don't have a way to measure it, right? And I didn't have an R5 to compare it against. But I saw Gerald's results, and he has a scientific way of testing it and has his numbers from before. And um, the more people are getting their hands on it, the more it's very close to the C70. I mean, I did a I did a, a video that was like C70 versus R5C dynamic range where I pushed into the highlights and the shadows. There's probably a half a stop difference between those two cameras in the shadows. Um, wow. It's it's a lot closer than I thought, and it's on par with like the Sony cameras. So there's that. That's the big thing is dynamic range. The other thing is the um, second base ISO of 3200. Um, I know that a lot of people praise the Sony cameras for having that second base of 12,800. But for me, I don't wind up in that like high ISO range very often. For me, like if I'm bumping up the ISO, like I'm in that 3200, 4000. And I want that. That was the same thing with a7 IV as it cuts off in the middle there versus having to go all the way up to 12,800. So I started looking at the image and I love this is, again, personal preference with all this stuff. But like I like oversampled images. I like that 8K oversample, the 7K oversample, um, you know, like cameras like the Komodo's got a what a 6K oversample, I believe mm-hmm. um, it's personal preference. And now they're making cameras that don't overheat because they're putting fans in them. And that's just I just like the image better. And I do like full frame if I can, if I can have it, I'm going to choose full frame over Super 35. This is all personal opinion for me, but again, yeah. dynamic range. Like that was the thing about the R five was like, it just didn't have the dynamic range. It was weak in my opinion. Now, let me ask you this. Have you found that the R five C has similar ISO performance, like low light performance to the C 70 or is the C 70 better in low light? I didn't do a, comp- I didn't do a head to head on those. I compared the, I did a video comparing the R five C with the FX three. Cause that's the one I was really, I was like, how good is it against the one that everyone loves? Like in terms of low light, um, I have to go and look. The thing is you have the DGO sensor in the C 70, which obviously cleans up the shadows a ton, but I don't know at what point one starts winning. Um, they're just, it, it's a lot. The R five C is a lot cleaner than I thought it was going to be in terms of noise level. So, but, and the, and the C70 doesn't have a, a second base ISO. So that's part of it too. Yeah. Okay. But you, but again, it's it, the thing with Canon that kind of drives me crazy is like you get, you get these, you kind of have to pick your battles. You pick what you, what you value more because you're losing ba- Like I have better battery life for the C70. Oh, it's terrible. I've got the built in ND with the C70. But you've got an EVF, which I wish I don't understand why they didn't put even just a tiny little EVF on the C70. That would have been nice. Um, you've got you know the the smaller form factor. I think a lot of people underestimate the size of the R5C. It's it really is just kind of like a R5. It doesn't feel it much different. The pictures kind of make it look chunkier than it really is. Does it feel smaller than the C70 when you hold it? Yeah, absolutely. Um... I don't know, for people that are watching video, here's my R5C. I put a battery grip on it um, just because I get double the battery. The battery's atrocious on this. When you put the battery grip on it, it's, I don't have my C70 near me, but it's about the same size in terms of height, but it's definitely not as thick and it's not as like heavy and big because it doesn't have NDs, doesn't have all that mm-hmm. other stuff in it. Um, but the beauty about this camera is that I I'm, I'm want to really call it like the Swiss Army knife because you can build it up or build it down. And like, if I want to just take this out on a hike and do a vlog, I just strip it down to just the camera. I put one battery in it and throw a couple batteries in my backpack and, and I'm good. But if you need to add a V mount, you need to add uh, the Tascam unit to get XLR inputs. Like you can do all that, but it then becomes this like, you know, rigged out situation. That's not like a little package, like the C70, you pull a thing out of your bag. It's got everything right there. Like it's a workhorse. Yeah. So it, it gives you more options. I think, <clears throat> I think you and I are the exception uh, when it comes to the users of these cameras. At the end of the day, the C70 on a production, you know, in a documentary style or even just a multicam setup is probably the the correct option. Um, whereas the R5C is great on a gimbal. It's great for the the hybrid shooter obviously in fact i would argue that the r5c is really the only true real hybrid camera that's ever existed because not only can it take stills 
and video, but it's it's the best video and the best stills that Canon offers. And it's full cinema menus yeah. and full cinema everything when you're in cinema mode. And then it's full photo mode when you go to photo mode. It's kind of amazing. I've never seen anything like it. And it's kind of one of a kind right now. I agree. I wish the FX3 did the same thing. And I think that's what Sony needed to do with that camera is like make it a video camera when it's in video mode. Because we all know we've all been shooting on mirrorless and DSLR cameras for a long time that like you shoot in the stills operating menu. You know what that's about. But when they put waveform and false color and shutter angle and, you know, all those things in the R5C, when you pick it up, you, you're using a video camera. And yeah, that's a huge difference for people that really appreciate that for sure. And I guess technically, if you really want to have some form of built-in NDs, you could use Canon does make the uh, the really nice RF to EF um, variable neutral density adapter, and it puts the the filter behind the lens. But now again, you're in the same situation as you are with yep. the C70 using EF glass. But it's cool that that's an option. Um, so so yeah, but one of the main reasons in my book why I would choose the R5C is just the fact that it's full frame. So you're getting that full use of the lens now. So you're using the 15 to 35 to eight with the IS in combination with the camera that has digital stabilization. They got rid of the IBIS, which I'm okay with. I don't like I'm Canon's okay IBIS. Too. I'm fine Canon's, with it. Yeah. Canon needs to work on their IBIS. I think it's really wobbly and, and kind of bad, honestly. So, <laughs> um, I mean, it helps obviously, but, um, my 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 shooter Connor owns an R5 and he's been shooting with that quite a bit with me and um, a lot of the footage I can see some kind of wobble warpy kind of stuff on the edges and I've never seen that on my you know on the A7S or on my Olympus camera so I think Canon should continue to work on that make that better hopefully through firmware updates and, and newer cameras um, but yeah. I, why would somebody pick the R5C over an A7S? Like the A7S is cheaper. It's uh, some would argue maybe even better in some ways. Like why would, if, if somebody was coming to you who's a pro videographer, who's starting fresh, you know, coming from maybe a Blackmagic camera and they're, they're wanting to upgrade or, you know, even a T2i or something like that. Like they, they want to upgrade to a better camera. Why would you lead somebody to an R5C over an A7S? Because the A7S still is just an incredible workhorse camera. I think the big thing, like you mentioned, is the the hybrid part of it. So if you're taking photos, like it's an R5, like in there, which is yeah. arguably one of the best photography cameras on the market still, even almost two years after it came out. Um, yeah. And you have that beautiful, what is it, 45 megapixel sensor in there and takes great photos. Yes. So that's a benefit. But I think the opera operability is that the word the way <laughs> the way it operates um <laughs> sure it is uh the you know when you have the cinema operating system and you have all those you know um exposure tools and and all those options in there that's kind of where i think it really shines it really feels like a video camera when you're using it also having shot on sony for a long time the lcd screens are totally inferior to the canon ones and i feel really? like i yeah the Anyone's on a Sony camera, like, will admit to that. Like, the LCD screens are not nearly as good as the Canon ones. <laughs> so, and I, and I think at the end of the day, it's kind of personal preference. It's um, it's the it's the way the image looks coming out of the camera. Again, I like the oversampled image. Um, I know a lot of people, especially in the filmmaking world, really like that sort of softer, more filmic look. But to me, I'd rather have the detail and be able to soften it with a diffusion filter or in post. Because going the other way around is really hard to do. It's not nearly as good as like starting with sharper, more detail, and then kind of softening it if you want to. Sure. So I like to have that option. Um, I think those are the main things. But the other thing is ecosystem and lenses and who else are you shooting with? And, you know, what other cameras do you have that you need for your operation? So you can't go wrong with the Sony cameras, though. I mean, they they do everything really, really well. Um, and I I have to say the A7S is underrated as a photography camera because even though it's 12 megapixels and people think you need more, the photos that come out of that camera are beautiful. Like, they look great. I've shot some great photography on that camera. So, and again, that EVF is beautiful, too. So, yeah, <laughs> which it's one do like you want to go with, you know? Yeah, I, I, um, I don't know if you are familiar with Terry Warfield, but he's a, a friend of mine and a YouTuber, and he recently got some Canon cameras to review, and he's been a Sony shooter for for a while. And his uh, kind of 
uh, example, I kind of agree with. It's almost like Sony is kind of like an Android phone. It's got like the the latest and greatest. Often Android phones like Samsung phones have the newer kind of cutting edge tech. Whereas Apple with the iPhone, it might, it might be two or three years before you see something that a Samsung phone was doing. But it's because they they really take time to perfect it and to make sure that it's it's simple and easy to use and everything just kind of works straight out of the box. Whereas the cutting edge Android phones, they're they're fun and exciting for for people who are into that. But sometimes things break and there's like little hacks and bugs and, and issues with it and little janky things that that go with it. Um, obviously, it's not the most perfect comparison because you know it's it's not the same. Uh, thing but uh sony is is cutting edge they're always pushing the limits they're putting features in the cameras uh that you just don't see anywhere else but canon is just good old reliable like everything just works it it's smooth it's easy to use the the colors look fantastic the lenses are wonderful it's just better to hold in the hand all, all, all as well like i don't know it's it's just kind of you should really just go to a store and, and play with them and see what you think. Rent rent one if you if you're curious about it. But um, I definitely think the color science argument is over. I think like if you really want to shoot on a Sony camera, the color science shouldn't be a reason for you to choose against it because for years the Sony color science was terrible, but they really have solved it. Um, it's definitely not you know I do think objectively the Canon color science is technically better in my opinion and i think you agree that being said the sony color science is still really good as well with these newer cameras yeah i mean i i personally like the the canon colors better because it gets me to the finish line sooner that's kind of how i feel about it so but i've gotten great results out of out of the sony cameras i think that analogy is good the android uh iphone analogy until recently and i think (laughs) if you look at the r5 with the overheating and that sort of thing. Canon was the reliable camera, but they're trying to play catch <laughs> up true. now, right? Like they, they were just doing their thing forever. And now they're like having a, they have competition and they're trying to, they're trying to play catch up. And R and D is not quick, you know, like think about mirrorless cameras. Sony's been making them for a long time. So I think they're really pushing the envelope with this stuff. And I think there's, there's quirks in these cameras that, you know, we're going to sit here and, and nitpick and complain about, but overall <laughs> yeah. usability and like you said, like the grips, like the way it feels, the menu system, uh, the colors that come out of the camera, like without having to fuss with them too much might mm-hmm. be closer to what you're looking for. I agree completely. Totally. A lot of people don't realize this. And I, I met um, a Canon executive at NAB a couple of years ago, and I was complaining about some things with him and he was a fairly high up executive. And he said, Dave, I got to tell you something. Our camera department is only a third of our business. The other, the other two thirds is medical and printers. So at the end of the day, we don't really care because we're making plenty of money selling medical equipment to doctors and printers to corporate America. That being said, a lot of that technology and the R&D that they have in the medical field, like they make x-rays and all sorts of interesting like ultrasound things as well, like they they really understand ergonomics because they work in medical so like they they're able to take some of those people and have them help help design like ergonomic grips so that's why you see like canon just has really ergonomic feeling grips because they take people from like their medical department to come in and like observe the grips and be like oh actually that could cause you know some tendonitis or whatever you know like I think a lot of people don't think about that. Whereas Sony is just like everything's sharp, small, compact, like, you know, forget <laughs> tendonitis or ergonomics or whatever. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that's fascinating to remember too, that like Canon is, you know, a big company that does other things. So when you kind of complain about certain things, it's like, well, yeah, they're making other products. But then again, same is true for Sony. They make phones, they make laptops, they make TVs, Sensors. They make yeah. Sony. So basically, if if people don't realize this, there's only two companies that make sensors: Canon and Sony. That's it. Nikon buys Sony sensors. Olympus buys Sony sen- sensors. Fuji. All these companies basically are are licensing sensors from Sony, and then Canon makes their own sensors. There's only two companies that have sensor fabs in Japan. Uh, so 
I think that's interesting. That's why Canon colors are so unique. Nobody has colors like it um, because they're they only work for themselves. Basically, their fab their their sensor fab is only for Canon. Although there are rumors that Red has been licensing from them because the uh, the Komodo has very strangely similar specs to the R6 and uh, it's got the dual pixel autofocus and the RF mount and they're using Canon batteries on the Komodo. Um, there's even some rumors that Canon, I think was going to buy red or something like that. So very interesting little rumors, you know, out there with that, but I don't know if it's true, but, um, at the end of the day, doesn't matter. These cameras are great. <laughs> I, here's my thought. I have been going back and forth, back and forth on the R5C and the C70 and, and I called you and we talked about it. I have landed on just keeping the C70. I'm a huge fan of it. I love being able to just plug it in to the wall like I'm doing right now. Plug in my nice full-size HDMI. Um, In this environment, the turbo booster doesn't give me any problems. So I'm happy with how that looks. Um, And believe it or not, I've been using this camera as my like family home video camera, which is ridiculous. Um, But I use the tiny little 10 to 18 it's like an EFS lens. It's a 10 to 18 millimeter with IS built in. And it looks amazing. And it's super like smooth and stabilized. And it's so teeny tiny on the camera. I just use the little, you know, RF to EF uh, adapter, the non-turbo booster version. And that's like my home video camera. I don't even put a mic on it because the C70 has a fabulous built-in mic, which I never even knew. I just started kind of experimenting with it. And I'm like, this actually sounds really good as a built-in mic. So it's really small, compact, and I've got built-in ND and long battery life. And I look like a weirdo running around like <laughs> the aquarium following my kids with this thing. But uh, I've been very happy with my home video now because it looks fantastic. Like, you know, m- look at 20 years from now, I'm going to be so thankful that I was actually using a real camera as my home video camera filming my kids, you know? So, um, well, I think I that's know. just, that's a, that's a statement to like where we're at right now. I mean, we're able to carry around these crazy cool cameras for shooting family stuff or making quick YouTube <laughs> yeah. videos or whatever. And I don't think you can go wrong with either the C70 or the R5C. Like they're both amazing. And it's really about what you're looking for and how you want to use it. If, as you said, like if you're on bigger productions, if you're in studios, like the C70 is incredible. Like it's a workhorse. You plug it in big HDMI, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, the other thing I want to talk about between those two cameras is the autofocus because. Sure. Yeah. I know that. I hear your findings. Yeah. So I think when it first got announced, um, I made a few videos, I think about it. And one thing I was like, I heard that the autofocus was not the same as the R5, which it's not. And that was alarming for a lot of people because a lot of the reasons people liked the R5 was the autofocus in video is incredible. But then it goes into the cinema operating system. So it has a different, you know, focus system, very similar to the C70. So you still get things like face only, like all that, all the stuff that you get in the C70, very similar settings. But they added eye eye detect on top of that. So I did a a side-by-side test in that video that I was talking about probably came out or is coming out or whatever. It's a little bit better than the C70. And I also think that one of the issues I originally ditched the C70, my first go around with it was the autofocus let me down a good amount and I couldn't really rely on it in a lot of situations, especially um, if the subject was backlit at all or just slightly underexposed or dark skin tones and really struggled with that. Um, that was something that kept me from wanting to use it in documentary shoots because I'm, I'm out, I'm trying to film the thing. I'm trying to interview the person. I'm trying to put the story together. And then I look over and the things like hunting and I'm like, I can't, I can't deal with this. Like I'm paying for autofocus. Like I need it to work. But I think the R5C is, I would just say slightly better than the C70, but I also think the C70 has improved with firmware updates over the last year. Um, I just noticed because when I got the camera this time around and I updated the firmware on it, like it's better than it was. It's not like R5 mm-hmm. level or Sony level, but it's better for sure. Yeah, it, it has gotten better. Um, you know, I, I use the face only mode a lot for, you know, for something like this, it's perfect. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's not as reliable when you're just running and gunning. And uh, Connor has kind of complained about it because he's been using it, and he's just using the twenty four to one hundred five on it. And uh, yeah, it just it doesn't track as well as the R five does. And it's it's odd that the R five C doesn't have the same autofocus as the R five because it's the same camera technically. But like, Different I guess it's something systems. to do with the cinema operating system, right? So yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's some differences Which, there. I haven't found too many other ones other than the, the dynamic range. Um, the other big thing that I think is worth mentioning with R5C is the ability to adjust the noise reduction in the camera, which, mm-hmm. and we're getting to the nitty gritty here, but on cameras like the A7S III and the FX3, there is baked in noise reduction that you cannot turn off. And so that's a big difference to the FX6 where you can adjust the noise reduction. And mm-hmm. so... There are times where I don't like what the noise reduction is doing on the FX3, and I have the ability to change that in the um, in the R5C. So that's another little benefit there. If you're really trying to dial in settings in the camera, that's another difference. Does the uh, does the C70 have that? I've never even yep. played around with yep. it. Yep. If, if you okay. go into the like picture profile, you go to C log two, and you unprotect it, you can go in there and change the noise reduction. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I'll mess around with that. I'm curious to to see what the what that looks like. Yeah, I don't um, think the C70 really needs a lot of it, but <laughs> it's so clean. Yeah, the the DGO sensor is just like so magical. It really is. Um, I mean, it's a you got to remember, like it's a C300 Mark III in there, uh, which is like a very expensive high end cinema camera. So, so what are you? What's kind of your situation? Are you going to keep both? Is that is that what you've decided? No, I haven't decided yet. Um, I'm kind of back Buy and another forth. R5C. <laughs> I thought about it. I think for right now, just because in the near future, I don't need two high-end cameras. I just don't for the work that I'm doing right now. Yeah, I might sell one and buy something else to play with for a little while, just in sure. terms of creating content and learning new gear and all that kind of stuff. Uh, leaning towards the R5C for me, just because I love full frame. I love the oversample. It's smaller yeah. if I'm taking it out for a hike or something, which I do like to make those videos where I go out and walk around and talk about stuff. Um, so that's kind of where I'm leaning right now, but it's like, it's really hard to sell the C70 day. Like, it's just such an awesome camera. Like it really is. It's, uh, I felt the same way about the FX3. Love that camera. Um, yeah. So so, yeah, I'm not really sure, but right now I'm not doing client work. I'm, I'm working on my farm channel, my, um, the course I told, I talked about earlier in the, in the show tonight. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so for me, it's like mainly YouTube and that kind of stuff. So I don't need like two big cinema cameras i'll put that in air quotes (laughs) (laughs) yeah um what kind of i'm I'm curious because you you go hiking a lot and it looks like you're using a tripod what's your your main tripod that you use when you're out and about uh i think it's uh i don't remember it's like a small carbon fiber it's not the it's not the peak design one it's not the peak design one um my buddy chris told me or something it's either that or a Benro. I can't remember. I'd have to go grab it. Um, yeah, it's, it it's small. It's carbon fiber. It's like I didn't like. I don't want to get the Peak Design. I think this one's a little bit more durable. Um, well, the Peak yeah. Design's too short. I'm I'm a little too tall for Doesn't it. Doesn't so have I, the like I'm, this thing in the middle that you can raise. Doesn't have that. Yeah, even it's when it's raised short. up all the way, it's too. It, at least for me, is I'm six. I'm right at six feet, so it's it's a little too short for me personally. But um, yeah, I, I I do like the design of the Peak Design though. It's it's so well thought out, well engineered. But what about the uh, flip screen on your C70? Is it better now that you've like repurchased <laughs> it or whatever? Yeah, it is. Uh, so the original C70 I had, I think was in the first lot, which I think you got it right away. Yeah. Mine's uh, and I think, flopping around everywhere. Yeah. So I, I sent that it in. Yeah. So I sent that one in a can and I got it back in my hands in less than two weeks. Totally free. The only thing I paid for was shipping there and they paid for shipping back. And it was free. Okay. So I don't know if they're still offering that service. Uh, the cool thing was when I called them, I said, Hey, I bought this used. This is what's going on. I was very upfront with them. I was like, I don't have a receipt. Like I bought it used. They're like, just send it in. Just take everything off the camera. No battery, no memory card. Send it in. They sent it back to me. Felt amazing when it got back. The C70 nice. I just picked up um, was obviously in a newer batch and it's, it's fine. I mean, it, it doesn't have the same like uh, reliability. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, like it's not as confirm reaffirming, confirming of the, like the the R five C or the R five or R, I guess I've never touched an R. Why not? But. It's so dumb that they so dumb. <laughs> they yeah, have the build, 
they have a warehouse full of all these flip screens. <laughs> like, why don't they put that on here? Like, it's it's so bizarre. My thought is that the C70 screen is wider. And I think most people don't realize that, but the all the mirrorless cameras have a more, was a three by two for taking photos. Sure. So yeah. you're obviously not doing that on the C70. So they, they made a different screen for that camera. I think that's really sure. where it comes from. Yeah, it reminds me of the little camcorder screens that they've made before on little camcorders and stuff. And I, one of the things that I think is weird about the C70 is the like the tactile feel of it too. It's like it feels like cheap plastic sandpaper. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? It's it's a strange feeling. <clears throat> yeah, compared. I was trying to compare the R5C with the C70 in terms of that like the grip. I think it's the, roughly the same material, but maybe like just because it's bigger, it just feels weirder. Like when yeah. it's more compact, it, it just feels different. But yeah, <laughs> it just feels the C70 has a weird build quality, like feel to it. Like when you pick it up, you're like, yeah. oh, this is weird. <laughs> but I love my four uh, audio inputs and built in NDs and all that. So it's, 100%. it is what it is. So I ordered this the Tascam unit. So that'll help me with XLR inputs because I do use XLR microphones yeah. a lot. So what did so what did you decide, Dave? Let's get down to this the C seventy lens situation here. What did you decide on? Or are you not decided? Yeah, I'm. I'm I bought the R seven with the kit okay. lens, um, and then I've. I'm. I think I'm just going to keep the turbo booster and my full frame lenses for now. Um, but as things come out for the R seven, I'm hoping that we'll see some really nice APS-C cropped RFS lenses. If that's the case, then I can start slowly ditching my full frame lenses and the turbo booster. So I'm kind of here, like I'm here for the long haul. Like I'm, I'm expecting to kind of wait it out over the next like three years, probably. Um, and Sigma made a really wonderful uh, cropped censored. I think it's like a 15 to 50 to eight or something like that, or a, something like that designed specifically for Sony uh, APS-C. And I think it's also like amount APS-C as well. It's like a proper 24 to 70 to eight for APS-C. And I would love to see them do that on RF. They Sigma actually hasn't made any RF lenses. Yeah. I, so know I don't know why. Yeah. I why think not? Canon's holding on to it or I don't know. I've heard a lot of like discussion, but no one really knows. Like, why don't you see Sigma lenses or Tamron lenses or anybody yeah. else? Like, I think once Sigma starts making RF lenses, it's going to change the game a lot. Like you said, if they adapt those the 1630 was a 56. Those little, yeah. those would be incredible on any of those cameras. Those are super sharp lenses. Yeah. Um, F1.4, they're small, compact. Those lenses Great. are so, so sharp. Um, yeah, I think that would be cool. I think though, which we had talked about offline also was that Canon really hasn't had professional crop lenses before other than the one, no. the 17 to... Yeah, which I own. <laughs> the 17 to 55 28 IS. Yeah. Yeah. That's an old, old timey lens at this point. Super old. Um, it looks great. But, it still has great bokeh, but. Yeah. Uh, and it's a big lens for a crop sensor lens for sure. It's lightweight though. It, it oh, looks it is? big, but it, it weighs n- almost nothing. It, it feels like, it feels like you're holding just a, a lens of plastic air. <laughs> well, I think so. if they, if they start, if they're, serious about their crop sensor cameras which it seems like they are like the r7 is a very promising camera and i think it's it's going to do really well but it needs to have the lenses to to back it up and you know are are people just going to be using the inexpensive primes like the 16 the 35 the 50 um are they going to be using those on crop sensor cameras i mean that's a big question mark if if they can put out some pro level crop sensor lenses that'd be really cool I'm kind of worried that Canon just doesn't care and they're just going to say, just buy a RF lens. Like, cause if you look at all the ads for the R7, obviously like, you know, the pros, the, the pro bird photographers and sports photographers that were using it in a lot of their ads, of course they're using all the, the L mount or the, the L series RF lenses. So it's like, yeah, just buy the 70 and 200 and the, the 15 to 35. It's great on there. It's like, no, <laughs> Give me like a real good crop lens. I don't know. It's frustrating, but. Well, I think, I think the crop sensors for Canon, like you talk about like the 7D Mark II, like a lot of people are using those for wildlife and long reach stuff. So everyone's like, oh, it's great. It's fast for readout. You can put these big lenses on and get extra reach. So maybe that's more of the market. Then they're like, oh, get yeah. the 70 to 200 or the 100 to 500 or those other zoom lenses. And then you have all that extra reach on the R7. Maybe that's the target market. I'm not really sure. 
Do you know about the, um, let me see what it is. It's a RF. I think it's a 800. Yeah. Do you know oh, about the this? 11? Yeah. So it's, it's only a thousand dollars for an 800 millimeter lens, which is like unheard of. And this is the, this is the beauty of, uh, of mirrorless, but, um, you can even put a teleconverter on there and like, and make it even tighter, but it's, it's a fixed F 11, which when you're outside and for the use case of this, that's totally fine. You even still get some bokeh because you're so freaking zoomed in. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of people talk about this thing. It's like, it's, it's kind of a cheaper lens in terms of opt- optics, but it's just nuts that you can get an 800 millimeter telephoto for under a thousand dollars. You know, it's pretty and cool. And you put that on your R7 and you can, you know, go nuts. Yeah, exactly. The reviews I've seen of the R7, cause it's got the Digic X, uh, processor in it. So it's from the R3. So the speed, apparently the autofocus and the speed on it is nuts. So, I'm really curious to see how it performs and I'm definitely going to be doing some side-by-side uh, comparisons with the C70. And if it's like, if it's close, if not better, like, I don't know, I might even just switch to the R7. <laughs> focus is going to be better. I mean, the R3 autofocus is incredible. Uh, my question marks always are dynamic range and overheating. Those are my question yeah. marks because it's an oversampled image with no fan. Like yeah. how long are we going to get with that in the heat, you know? Well, I mean, the videos I've seen, people were running it for two hours with no overheating. So we'll see. But um, it still won't beat the C70 in terms of obviously video features. But I think the C70 and the R7 are a nice pair because they're both the same sensor size and I can just keep all the same lenses. I could do I could just do all crop lenses if I really want to or even use the turbo booster. I'm sure the turbo booster will work on the R7 as well. So. We'll see, I think, but I think that's a great thing to think about, though, is uh, B cam for the C70 or B cam for the R5C, because I don't think there is a good option for the R5C right now for a cheaper camera to match it in terms of full frame. Um, exactly. I'm not I a fan think, of the R6. It, it overheats. Have you used a lot it before? I've I've used it a, like just a somebody just handed it to me and I've kind of just messed around with it. But my buddy Connor has used it and he said it overheats just as bad as the R5, if not worse. Um, and the color science is a little whack on it as well. It's like it kind of shifts into the yellows, which is strange. So it's just kind of like if you're only shooting on the R6, it's fine. But um, yeah, it's it's an odd camera. So I think this R7 may be a really solid. And it's also s- still very expensive. So um, this R7 is a great option because it's like $1,400 uh, or 1500 bucks. So which is pretty cheap for what you're getting an oversampled 7k 4k 10 bit with continuous recording with great yeah, it's autofocus. pretty crazy they put c log 3 in there and like I'm, yeah yeah it's, it's pretty amazing for sure um i think canon's now just throwing everything in every camera which i love to see because that's like a sony move for sure yeah they're having to keep up uh because sony is eating their lunch for sure <laughs> <laughs> did you see you saw my uh my video right the um the dji video Absolutely, man. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about it. How do, how are you feeling about everything right now? I'm really excited. I I haven't felt this way in a while, and uh, I'm just uh, I feel very focused and uh, excited about this new direction. Um, I, for a long time, I felt a little disgruntled by the industry, and I, I wanted to do things that were a little bit more creative and different. And I always felt like I was just hitting a brick wall, you know, with infusing that into a review. But this was the first time I really just kind of embraced this new format of just entertainment first that happens to be around filmmaking. And it seemed to perform fairly well for me. Um, you know, it's, it didn't get a million views or anything like that. But uh, my channel has essentially been dead for like six or seven months. And there was a previous host, you know, as well. So I'm really having to kind of get the channel back to life anyways. And uh performed really well great click-through rate you know it's i think it's performing 5.5 times better than any you know video that i've posted in the last uh the last 10 videos or whatever so at least that's what youtube studio tells me so um yeah i'm just having a lot of fun with it and i'm real excited about what's next and uh if you haven't seen it go check it out on uh, the dave mays channel so i just wanted to plug that at the end of the show here but (laughs) 
Absolutely, Dave. And I think, you know, since we've connected, I don't know however long ago that was, a year and a half or so ago, maybe, I don't know, I have no yeah. idea. Time is crazy. I've just been so excited to, you've been like stirring all these ideas around for years now. And I, I'm like so happy to, to see you just like go for it and just, and put all your energy in there and all your focus. And I just can't wait to see what comes out of what you're creating in the next couple videos, next few years. Um, it's just cool to see different things. Cause I think, I know for me, maybe I just been watching too much of these videos, but they all, everything's kind of similar at this point. And, you know, like, it's really cool to see people doing different things. I think, I think it's really refreshing and I just, you know, want to cheer you on. That's all. <laughs> Thanks, dude. <laughs> well, I brought it up, so I appreciate I appreciate you going. I was going to ask you about it. it, man. I was going to ask you about <clears throat> it. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree. I think I mean, there's nothing wrong with with nerding out about gear. I still love it, and I'm almost like I almost want to start another channel so that I can still kind of do that. But I think that would be splitting my focus too much right now, and I just need to kind of hunker down on just this one concept. I, you know. So I'm trying to kind of br- zoom out a little bit and and hit a broader audience. Um, this was my first kind of transitional video. It still is pretty ni- uh, niche. Uh, if you're not interested in drones, you you may not find any value in this video other than it being just kind of silly. Um, but I'm trying to figure out a way to basically create an entertainment channel that's based around filmmaking and I'm a filmmaker and I have filmmaker friends, but anybody can watch it and enjoy it. Kind of like how Mythbusters was so entertaining to watch, even though you're not, you know, a, a VFX artist or Mark Rober, who's one of the biggest, you know, YouTubers. He's an engineer. Like I'm, I have no interest in engineering. I, I don't know anything about engineering, but I love all of his videos. So I think there's a way to do that in our filmmaking kind of world and nobody's really figured it out yet. So I'm really trying hard to, to find that because I think there's a lot of um, potential there. And for a long time I was frustrated because it it felt like, well, nobody's doing this. So it, it clearly must not work. And over the last three or four months, I've been talking to some kind of consultants and different people I've been working with. And they're all like, just because nobody's doing it doesn't mean it's not possible. In fact, the fact that you're thinking this way may be a good thing because you might create a new kind of niche. And I'm like, well, that would be really cool if that was true. But I don't I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's possible. I, I have to work really, really hard. That's basically the only thing here is, uh, I mean, that video took me two months to make that one. And I'm already yeah. like uh, stressing out about the next one. But <laughs> the next one is going to be called... Uh, I'll give it away here because uh, not many people listen to this, but um, uh, I shot 100 films in 24 hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's going to be extremely exhausting. <laughs> but it'll be well, I, I just want to chime in about a couple things. I mean, my experience with YouTube and the success I've had on the farming channel is what I've realized. I've realized a lot of things and I'm going to be making more videos about this on my video channel too, because I've done a lot of content creation tips and techniques and stuff on there too, because yeah, I've experienced a lot in the last, it's only been three years or just over three years. Hard work is definitely key. Like people think YouTube is easy. YouTube is like the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Like it is <laughs> relentless. Yeah. It, you have to constantly push yourself. There's a couple things is one is providing value for your audience. I think that could be educational or entertainment or both. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think a lot of times, even with title and thumbnail, like you can get into the weeds about title and thumbnail and strategies there, but providing perceived value through the title and thumbnail, I think is huge. Yes. And the other thing is picking your lane and sticking in it is what grows your channel. And you, mm. your lane is going to be what you find is a space in the, in your niche. Like if you can find that little sliver that you can slide through and, and sort of open up that wedge and get through, I think that's where YouTube's going to push your, your videos more because uh, you get traction. And for the farming channel, just, I mean, I, 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 most people who are listening to this have no idea about this niche, th- about that niche. But for me, like I had been watching YouTube for a few years and I knew exactly where there was a space for me. And so that's where mm. I aimed at. And it just opened up pretty quickly for me. But that was much less crowded. Um, that's but- really reassuring to hear, man. I appreciate that because... Um- to me, the way that I interpret, like I've, I really have been studying people like Eric, Ryan Trahan, Mr. Beast, all the kind of greats 
on YouTube right now, the people that are getting, you know, 20 million views a video. And I'm really inspired by the storytelling that's happening kind of at the high level of YouTube right now. It's seeming like uh, it's basically become reality TV with, with some uh, storytelling going on or, or game show meets reality TV. And uh, I just haven't seen that in our niche. And I'm, I'm very passionate and authentically just excited and, and interested in tech and in the camera gear filmmaking niche. But I also think there's room for just having fun within that. And I haven't really seen anybody do that. And so um, that could be my little wedge, I guess you could say. Well, how can people find you, Josh, on uh, social media and, uh, and the YouTubes? Yeah. So if you're interested in camera gear, so if you've gotten this far in the video or on the podcast, you can check out my channel. It's Josh Satin. Um, it's a little bit harder to find because my farming channel kind of takes over. That one is called Josh Satin Farming. But maybe Dave, you can link it up or whatever. Yeah, but uh, it'll definitely if you type in any of these, like type in Josh Satin camera video, Canon, like I'm sure I'll show up somewhere easy enough to find. <laughs> and definitely, honestly, even if you're not into farming, I would recommend everybody go check out the farming channel. That's really where the storytelling and, and a lot of the interesting stuff is going on with Josh's work, where like the behind the scenes is the Josh Satin channel where he's figuring out which camera to use. But then if you actually want to see that camera being used, go check out the farming channel. And then also, you know, like you said, you're doing this crazy educational course, um, which I'm really curious to see how you pull that off. That sounds like a ton of work, but uh, it'll be very valuable. Yeah, it's been crazy. Um, The modules are somewhere usually between 25 and 45 minutes and I'm putting out one a week and then doing live Q and A's to follow up with them. So yeah, it's been an undertaking, but it's, it's been sort of a way for me to wrap up pretty much everything I've learned and shared into like a concise package. It's killing my analytics on YouTube, but I'm still doing it. So (laughs) (laughs) it's all good, man. I'm, I'm excited for you and for your future and we'll definitely have to have you on again. Uh, I'm sure something else is going to happen that will, allow us to talk about nerdy stuff for an hour. So (laughs) I appreciate it, Dave, anytime. Um, And I'm really excited for your YouTube channel and your journey as well. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it.